Come on up, Dustin. Good morning, church family. Merry Christmas to you. Just uh, excited. Uh, love this time of year. And I've been struck with the, uh, the words from the song. Um, I can't remember the song. <laughs> but it's uh, the weary world rejoices. And it's, been a, it's a weary world. Um, but we can rejoice because we have a good and loving Savior who loves us and, and uh, is with us, sees us. His ear is inclined to you. Um, he's near. Um, Dustin's going to preach on the nearness of God today. I'm so excited about it. And uh, many of you know Dustin. Some of you may not know Dustin. I am uh, jazzed to uh, introduce him to those of you that don't know him. And I'm excited about uh, Dustin Tallman uh, preaching today for many reasons. First of all, I know he's going to do a great job. Um, I listened last night. I can testify that he did a great job. God was honored, glorified. I was super edified. He loves Jesus. Um, he loves God's word. Most of all, what I'm excited about is God's grace in Dustin's life and God's uh, story of reconciliation and restoration in his life, is, uh, as we can all testify to. I've known Dustin for 20 years. Uh, Dustin and his family were part of this church plant from Mountain View Community Church in 2001. So he's been, um, I've known him for over 20 years. Um, while he was at uh, WCC in the early years, Dustin was involved in several different teaching ministries here at Windsor Community Church. Then in 2006, Dustin and his family went to Greeley to plant Crossway Chapel Greeley in 2006, where Dustin eventually became an elder. Over that time, in those early years after the church plant, Dustin became controlled by alcohol, and he was asked to step down by the elders in the church, and his uh, wife uh, at the time divorced him. About nine years ago, with Dustin's life upside down, he wandered back to Windsor Community Church where he came underneath the pastor team here. And, um, and he became known by many of you. And um, I want to testify to God's goodness that Dustin's been sober for two and a half years. And he just celebrated his sixth wedding anniversary to Shelby, delightful Shelby, whom I got to do their wedding ceremony. Dustin loves Jesus. He loves the word of God. And I've had the pleasure of having an upfront and personal look at this man over the last nine years. And I can tell you this about Dustin, that he's a sinner, saved by grace, just like me and just like you. He's humble. He's teachable. He loves Jesus. He's a faithful husband and a faithful father. Dustin never asked us to preach. But we wanted to offer him the opportunity because we know that he is gifted and that he loves communicating God's word. And as you sit under today's uh, teaching of God's word on nearness, please be reminded that our God came near to reconcile and restore us into a right relationship with him. And he's called each of us to a ministry of reconciliation. Amen. Let's pray. God, we bless you. We thank you for this uh, dear brother, uh, this son of yours, this friend, um, God, uh, this uh, kingdom citizen, uh, Dustin Tallman. Thank you for Shelby. Thank you for uh, Dustin's four kids. Uh, thank you for what a delight that family is and the way they've served so well here. And uh, thank you for your grace um, in Dustin and through Dustin and uh, your grace that saves us and also sustains us. So, God, I pray that you would, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, give, uh, give Dustin uh, great confidence in your word and that he would be able to, to preach what you put on his heart with great unction and power for your glory 
and for our good. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Thanks. Thank you, Dan. It's a long, hard introduction to listen to, but that's all right. It was a long, hard road to walk sometimes. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. My voice puts people to sleep. I need to know that someone's awake once in a while. I will give you the same disclaimer I gave last night. I am a dad. There is probably a, a pretty high chance there will be bad dad jokes in the middle of the sermon. If you have no place for that in your sermons, I'm sorry. I, I will seek your forgiveness later. But, And I'm told the dad jokes are bad. Um, these are people who have no sense of humor who tell me these things. But... But I am told they're bad, so uh, I appreciate you laughing. When I get uh, when I get uh, worried and when I get serious, I tell more jokes. And so the more serious the sermon gets, the more jokes you can expect. I apologize if they're out of out of key with the message. I'd like to start our time today with a simple but a very significant question: Is your God too small? See, everybody walked in here this morning with an idea of what God was like. They could close their eyes and they could get a picture of, of what God was like. And maybe that's built on your spiritual history, how a church you grew up and how God was viewed there. The kind of church you went to as a kid makes a lot of difference in what God looks like. Maybe you spend a lot of time in Bible study or you've read lots of books, Christian and otherwise. You've lived in a good church family that have had a lot of fellowship and worship experiences. You've got an idea of what God looks like through your experiences where you've seen him show up. And you've got an idea of what God looks like from experiences where he didn't show up or didn't feel like he'd shown up. Everybody's got a face that comes to mind when asked what God is like. And so I ask you again to think about it. Is your God too small? I know that mine is. Almost always. See, I come to believe that there's many in the church that need a view of God that carries a little more weight. We see God dimly. We see him as a pale reflection of what he should be. Sometimes we build an outright idol that we devise because we don't understand who he is or because we want him to be different than how he really is. We put God in a box so that we can take him out when we like him and put him away when we don't want him around. Tozer, who you've heard quoted a lot of times in this series, if you've been with us, has said it this way. Left to ourselves, we tend to immediately reduce God down to manageable terms. We want to get him where we can use him, or at least know where he is when we need him. We want a God we can in some manage, manner control. I think our world continues to shrink God. I know, I know a lot of people who do. Uh, God is no longer worthy of praise. He's not worthy of worship. He's certainly not worthy of trust. He's not worthy of obedience. This small G God is definitely not worthy of a life that is lived for his purposes. I think our world and our church, and I know myself, need a God who is full of his glory and his magnificence, the way he's painted in scripture, the way that we see him in creation, the way we see him in the faces of people who know him and love him. So is the God that you brought with you today able to handle the things that you brought with you as well? In one hand, you brought your image of God. In the other hand, you brought all your struggles. 
I got a prayer request yesterday for prayer to make it safely through the parking lot because it was so busy. Is your God big enough to handle the parking lot at Christmas time? Can your God handle COVID and family members getting sick? Can your God handle the financial woes that may or may not come from that as you wonder where the next paycheck's going to come from? Can you offer up to God in prayer a friend or a relative or a child that might need to see him because right now they're lost and in darkness without him? Is God bigger than those things? If the answer to that is no, well, then your God is too small. If the answer to that is maybe, your God is too small. If the answer is no, I'm not sure, the answer is your God is too small. Thank you. Last night I couldn't get them to talk. They were asleep by this point. If your answer is anything but yes, my God is big enough to handle what I brought in today, then your God is too small. And he deserves to be thought of as so much bigger. And we need him as so much more. Over the last few weeks, some amazing men have gotten up and they have hoped to change your perspective of who God is, to broaden that picture and to expand what you see when you close your eyes and you think about what God is like. They wanted to take God out of that box. They wanted to polish the diamond that we've had up on our graphic to show God in all his magnificence, all his glory. They've wanted to make God less manageable and less controllable. Do you, do you really want a God who's in a box? I sure hope not, because that's not where he belongs. One of the scriptures that stood out in the beginning of the series and has continued to steer my thoughts as I prepared for today is in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. This has been my goal and my hope. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boasts in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That is the God that we have hoped to communicate over the last few weeks. Pat began our series talking about the goodness of God, how God is good above anything we can imagine, that his goodness is infinite and that it drives his actions and his thoughts and his emphasis on us day by day. We've seen his goodness revealed in creation, in the word, in his people, in his spirit, in his son. Dan spoke next about the perfect righteousness and justice of God, which if, if you walked away from that without a little bit of awe or reverence or even just a little bit of fear, please go back and listen again. We live before a holy, righteous, and just God, a judge who is the only one fit to judge the world, the only one righteous to do it. And yet we see a God who also provided all the means for justice to be met. Stephen came up and he talked about God's limitless grace and mercy. And I don't know if I'm quoting him right, but I've attributed this quote to him. Grace is God running towards us to rescue us and restore us. Grace has him giving his life on the cross to bring us near. Grace is, the grace of God is on display throughout the scriptures in every life that God touches, from King David to Moses to Abram to John to Paul to everybody you can find in scripture. Two weeks ago, Gordon came up and he talked about the holiness of God. He used that word, the words worshipful surrender, 
over and over again. That we surrender to God knowing that he is holy. That God is set apart from the world around us and all its mess. But more than that, he has also separated us if you know Jesus Christ. If you've encountered the holy God in creation, you have so much to rejoice about because you've been pulled out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Last week, Rob came up and encouraged us about the forgiveness of God. And he started by pointing out that very few of us remember the depth of our sin. That we don't see clearly who we really are to be forgiven. From those who have been forgiven much, much is expected. And so as a result of knowing that we are forgiven so very, very much, we ought to be motivated to go out and share the good news with those who need that same forgiveness. And so that was the series up to this point. And I think I can speak for each one of the guys when I would say they would each do an entire series on their attribute. You get a pastor going, he can talk all day about matters of faith, right? My family knows that all too much, I'm afraid. They know more about the nearness of God than I do now. But that's okay. Each of those guys could have opened up a week-long series on their attribute. We've seen this book quoted a lot of times. This is The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. I just bring it up here to show you. We still have one copy left, so I'm going to auction this off. after. No, just kidding. Um, there is one copy left. It is an amazing book um, as a devotional, as a time with your family to open up someone else's perspective on the, the attributes of God. He does an amazing job. He says things in ways that I wish I could say. He has a heart and a desire to know God deeply that I wish I had. And so if you don't have a copy of that, there's one left. Um, we can get more if we need to. The other thing is if you have not seen all the sermons in this series, go back online and watch them. If you have missed an attribute of God, you've missed one part of that diamond that we've talked so much about. And you can't just focus on one attribute of God. I know I grew up doing that a lot, and I think a lot of people do. Depending on my day, I would focus on God's righteousness and justice, usually when I was in trouble. When I didn't want to be in trouble anymore, I would focus on God's love and forgiveness and try to pitch that to mom. Sometimes it worked, not always. But you need to see all those different attributes of God. You need to see God in his full glory or as best as we've been able to communicate it. So please go back and look at those. It falls to me today to close our series with one more perfection or attribute of God, and that's the nearness of God. And the nearness of God brings everything close to home. All those attributes that are so big we can't contain them are going to be right here in this room with us today. But before we jump into the nearness of God and seeing how wonderful that is, let's pray one more time, if you would, please. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you are indeed a God most high, a God who defies all understanding a God who is deserving of all our worship and all our praise, who desires our heart, who desires to know us and that we would know you. Lord, I just pray that today you would be glorified, that you would be the one put on display, that you would touch the lives and the hearts of everyone who hears your word today throughout the world, throughout this church, throughout this room, Lord. Father, I just pray that you would use this time for your glory and your purposes, and we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So on the nearness of God, Dr. Alan Fleece said things this way. The knowledge that God is present is blessed. 
But to feel his presence is nothing less than sheer happiness. Nothing less than sheer happiness. So maybe I'll ask a different question. Maybe your God is big enough this morning to carry everything that you brought with you. But let me ask the other question. Is your God too far away? I know a lot of people who feel like they have to look at God through a telescope to see him and to find him in their life. Or alternately, they have to look at for him through a microscope. If you don't know the difference, talk to me later and we'll talk about that. But they can't find God in their life. He's just too distant. He's just not there. And so they live a life wondering where he is, hungry for his embrace. Well, this morning, hopefully, we will see that the God of the universe is not at telescope's distance, and he's not so small that he, we need the microscope. He's right there with us, ready to fold us in his embrace and to draw as near as we will allow him to draw right now. When you start to look at the nearness of God in theology books or in academic books and things like that, you're going to find a word, omnipresent. That's your million-dollar word for today, omnipresent, Right? It's not one that you use very often in a sentence. Extra points if you can use it in Scrabble. But it's an academic-sounding word, right, that we throw out sometimes when we talk about theology. God is omnipresent, and that means that God is everywhere in all his glory, with all his infinitude and all his attributes at all times. God is not restricted or limited by space or location but he might choose to appear differently at different times, right? God appears differently in the burning bush. God appears differently in the incarnation of Jesus. But he's not limited by those things. The other academic sound that you'll get on this is omnipresence is considered incommunicable. It's not something people can do. Brace yourself for bad dad joke. I am glad that I am not omnipresent because it's really hard to social distance when you're everywhere at the same time. Think about it for a minute. I didn't say it was a good bad dad joke, okay? All right. I'll try to keep them down. God fills all space with all of himself at all times. My old friend and mentor who I learned so very much from used to say it this way. He said, God has to make room within his being for us, for creation. That God had to clear space within himself to create the world we know. Paul, as he was trying to teach the Athenians about who God was in Acts 17, verses 24 through 28, he said it this way. He said, Athenians, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to mankind all life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And here's what I want you to hang your hat on. Yet he is actually not far away from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. We are within the midst of God right now. Proverbs says these daunting words in Proverbs 15, chapter 3. We see that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch over the good and the evil. In Isaiah, chapter 57, verse 15, we see God is 
high and lifted up and inhabits eternity. He dwells in the high and holy place. And again, Isaiah says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? And finally, Jeremiah 23, verse 24. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? Declares the Lord. God has made this world and inhabits every part of it. If you're here feeling that God is not near, take heart. You are literally in his midst. One more bit of academia. When you read the back of your study Bible or other theological books, you'll see that omnipresence means, and listen to these wonderful words, omnipresence means that God can be sought anywhere, regardless of place. Believers should never feel lonely, and the wicked should never feel safe. God is near. Believer, rejoice that you are near him. Shed any loneliness that you brought in this morning, thinking that he is not there. And for those of you who have yet to bend a knee to Christ, know that he's also there watching. That he's got his arms outstretched to draw you in right now. Moment by moment, day by day, and there is nothing that you will do that will remove yourself from his presence. But you impose some separation on yourself, and he respects that to a point. Now, if you're like me, you ask yourself, self, how can it be that God is in all places at all times? Well, myself and I, we had a hard conversation about this, and what we came down to is that that is a God is too small kind of question. It's me trying to put human conditions and human restrictions on who God is. I can't be everywhere at once. How can God be everywhere at once? You'll find out if you know me for very long that He's God and I'm not. Be thankful for that. God's not limited by any of the things we're limited by. And so I have to be okay with saying he's God and I'm not. He does not fit in my box. He fits everywhere. Now, God's omnipresence is a wonderful thing, but we're going to shift gears just a little bit because I walked away from ending my sermon at omnipresence and I felt lonely still. I felt like I was cast out in the middle of the ocean, bobbing up and down, dying of thirst, surrounded by the presence of God, but not feeling Him, not noticing Him. Fortunately, God is neither distant nor impersonal. Scripture teaches that while God is everywhere at once, He's also near to each one of us as well, personally and relationally, day by day. God's near because He desires to be near, to dwell with us, to have a relationship with us, to know us, to love us, to bless us, to bear our burdens. God's there to hear the cry of our hearts and to share our joy and to be near. Many of the passages that I quoted just just a moment ago talking about the omnipresence of God, they have a second half that point to a relational quality as well. Again in Isaiah, yes, God dwells in the high and holy place and also with him who is contrite and lowly of spirit. In Jeremiah 23, Am I a God at hand, it declares the Lord, and not a God far away? If you go to the Psalms, you will see God near in almost every Psalm. King David was a man who, Scripture says, walked after God, that it was after God's own heart. 
the Psalms are full of him crying out to the Lord, for him rejoicing in the Lord, for him seeking the Lord's help and vengeance and strength. King David knew something about God being near. Over and over again in the Psalms, we see this laid out before us. In Psalm 145, the Lord is near to those who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. It's a tough one for a Christmas time sermon, but Psalm 23, even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Even there, you are with me, God. And my favorite passage, if I had to just pick one for this attribute of God, is Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12. It would be one of the few that I slow down enough to get up there. David recognizes the infinity and the intimacy of God in Psalm 139. Join me, me there. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. And when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all together. Think about that one for a minute. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day. For darkness is as light with you. Friends, that is the God that, who is with us today, who we worship. The God who is near to us personally right now. Moving forward, we see God's desire to be near his people manifest in the life of the person of Jesus Christ. To take a couple pieces from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There we see God. Later on in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Again in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-7, through seven, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, although He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing taking the form of a servant, becoming born in the likeness of men. Everything about the incarnation of Jesus Christ points to God's desire for nearness to us. He emptied himself and left heaven to be near to his creation. But it carries much more with that. Jesus also came to end the separation that came into the world on the heels of sin. If you join me for a minute in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Maybe the most discouraging verse today. Here we see man and his wife in the garden. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. The man and his wife hid themselves from the God who made them, who loved them. Jesus came 
that that separation caused by sin, that separation, the sin that made nearness negative, he came to take that on himself and put an end to it. Sin led to a separation from God that we've faced every day, every moment since. You can make the argument, and I think well, that sin is the cause of every evil, woe, and trial we face today. Even the ones you brought with you. Praise be to God that his desire to draw us near was so very great that he would enter the world, that he would give of himself, and that he would take the punishment and the consequences of that sin on himself. That he would bear our separation from God the Father on the cross, that he would die the death we deserve, and that he would rise to bring hope and relationship new. One of the more encouraging verses to follow up, Mark chapter 15, verse 38 at the moment of Jesus' death, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Torn in two. What that means, the, the temple had a place called the Holy of Holies. Some of you know this. The Holy of Holies where God dwelt. You did not go into the Holy of Holies without a whole lot of protection and a whole lot of preparation and a whole lot of treating God as holy. Or you died. The veil that separated that most holy of places, that place where God was, was torn in two that we might be joined back to God. Jesus went on to teach his disciples a whole lot more about the abiding presence of God. I, I don't have time to go into all of them, but he promised them something in John chapter 14. In verses 16 and 17, Jesus said, Disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. So we've seen that God is everywhere. We are in him by necessity because we're in his midst. We see that God desires to dwell with us personally. But now we see that God also desires to be near enough that he's inside that he has that place in his heart that only he deserves. Paul says it again in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And once more, as one of my favorite prayers, it's in Ephesians at the end, at the end of chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Listen to all the indwelling, God-near kind of words in this, this passage. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask of him, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Believer, ne never feel alone. Never feel lost or forsaken or abandoned no matter what the circumstances of the day may bring, no matter how your heart may cry out, no matter how rough the day is, God is near. 
He's nearer than you can possibly imagine. And if we call upon him now, we can know that he's near and feel the encouragement and the empowerment that he brings. As we wind down our time, let me leave you with just a few things to think upon, to maybe take away. The first one is, is God is only brought near in the person of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of religions out there. There are a lot of faiths out there. There are a lot of ways to be right with God. But there's only one way to be right with God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's only one way to end the separation that sin has put between you and God. And if you were here and aren't sure what that means, one of the pastors would be glad to talk to you. I'd be glad to talk to you. It is only by accepting the sacrifice of Christ and seeing him heal us and bring us to the Father that we can be near to God. But another question, and it happens a lot, why don't I feel God's presence? Why does he feel distant? Maybe it's just me, but I know I struggle with that one. I bring you three different points. Have you asked God to draw near to you? In Psalms 145, it says, The Lord is near to those who call on him and who call on him in truth. Jeremiah, again, you will seek me and find me when you seek with all your heart. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I know when God feels distant, I can look at myself and say, how much work are you doing to draw near to him? Like any other relationship, it'll languish with one person waiting to be close while the other does whatever he's doing. The second one is that sin makes nearness a negative. Even if you are a saved believer, sin can still get in the way of relationship with God. If God feels distant, it might be time to stop and take a look at life and go, what have I not confessed, Lord? Where is there unforgiveness that I'm holding on to or bitterness that I have allowed to grow in my life? What do I need to clean up, Lord? Over and over again, we see in Scripture that he is with those who are lowly and contrite in spirit. If God seems distant, there might be something that you need to take care of with him. Now, something to remember in the midst of that, I, I struggle with guilt, I struggle with shame, I struggle with feeling like God has turned his back on me because I'm just too bad some days. Some days it's the other way, but usually it's guilt and shame. But I want to encourage you and remind you that God is always near there is no sin that causes him to turn his back on us. There is no sin that causes him to shield his eyes from our wickedness. God is always there waiting to bring us back into his arms moment by moment. I'll, I'll leave you with the end of Romans chapter 8. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation that includes our sin, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you feel that God is distant, know that he's still there waiting, but there may be work to do. Spend some time before the Lord. Spend some time in prayer and the word and people who encourage you. One more. How does God's closeness empower you to do something differently today than when you came in? 
as I thought about this, I thought about, well, God is near. I better stop doing that. And then I better stop doing that. And I better stop saying that. He knows all the words before they come out. I better stop a lot of things. And that's one way to look at the nearness of God. But let me encourage you with looking at it a different way. When Jesus left his disciples in Matthew 28, he said, I am with you always to the end of the age. And he said that to empower them to go and do so much more than they would have done alone. What does the nearness of God empower you to do today that you wouldn't have done without him? What temptation can you fight because you have a partner? What forgiveness can you extend that is hard, but he's there to help you with? What strongholds of sin can be torn down because he's the one? What parking lot can you brave? It's where it hits host to home, right? With a smile on your face and a blessing in your heart, now it gets hard knowing that God is right there with you. What marital worries, or financial worries, COVID worries, what trials can you face knowing that God's with you? Friends, God is near. Let's rejoice. As the worship team comes back up, would you pray with me one more time? Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a God who desires our nearness, that you desire to be close to us, closer than anything that we can imagine, Lord, that you desired us so much that you would die on the cross to bring us near. Dear Lord, I just pray that today that you would make your nearness known to each one of us, that we would feel your presence in our hearts and in our lives, and that we would walk away changed as a result that we would be empowered to forgive, to confess, to live the life that you desire to see us live because it's what you know is best for us, Lord. Father, thank you for Jesus that nearness has been made possible through him, that he bore our sin and our separation on the cross to end it. Lord, if there are any who don't know what that means, would you meet them right now, Father, and draw them near?